All right, today we're going to start with a multiple choice quiz. And just guess, because you're not going to know the answers. But you might get them right. Here's, here's the first question. What percentage of 20-somethings, that would be anything that has a 20, 1 through 29. Okay, just make sure you're listening. Go to church in an average week. A, 25%, B, 30%, C, 35%, 40%, or none of the above. This is in the whole United States, as if that matters. Okay, somebody's, is that in America? All right, let me see. How many A's? I got to make you commit. How many B's? How many C's? Yeah, I see you back there, Jeff, looking at the answers and waving your hand back there. D's or E's? All right. I think two people. Who, had, who said B? Somebody over here said B. Brad. Good job, Brad. 30% in the United States, 20-somethings, go to church on an average, in an average week. Second, how many people ages 18 to 34, we're going we're gonna, to, that, that great age range that all of the uh, television shows are trying to capture, we're going to broaden it just a little bit. How many of those folks live in Palestine? 1,500, 2,500, 3,500, 4,500? It is C, about 3,500. If the averages hold true, about 3,500 here in uh, Palestine. How many people ages 18 to 34 live in Anderson County? Anderson County is about 50,000 people. 11,000, 13,000, 15,000, 17,000. It is D, 17,000. If the national averages hold true in Palestine, Anderson County, how many folks 18 to 34 do not attend church at all in a typical week? Palestine, 1,500, 5,000. It would be B, 2,500, Anderson County, A, B, C, or D? D, 12,000 folks in Anderson County, ages 18 to 34, do not attend church in a typical week. And do you know what these folks, what the number one reason is these folks give for not going to church? Irrelevance. In their opinion, church does not matter. It's completely irrelevant. So why would they go someplace that matters nothing to their lives? Uh, The vast majority of church teenagers, when they go off to college, quit going to church. You know what the number one reason they give for not going to church when they go to college? It's irrelevant. It makes no difference to my life. Even more teenagers, when they graduate from college, when they get in their 20s, graduate from college, they do not go to church. When they get out of college, you know what the number one reason is? Y'all are catching on. They say church is irrelevant. And who do you think New Life is trying to reach? Those people who think that church is irrelevant. So uh, we better figure out what relevance is then, right? If they say it's irrelevant and we want to be relevant, let's define it. Here's the definition. Relevance is using what is cultural to say what is timeless. Using what is cultural to say what is timeless. Well, I'm just throwing out free definitions here. Here's another one. Tradition is the living faith of the dead. You're going to chew on this one a minute. Oh, hello. No wonder. I knew I was missing something. That's so much better. Tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. Now think about that. Tradition is not bad as long as we don't worship the tradition. 
traditionalism is when you forget what the tradition is even about and you just do it because we've always done it that way. We have got to be relevant because people see traditionalism too much in the church. Now, in this picture right here, this picture of water, the water represents God's timeless truth. It's timeless, hence the name. It never changes. And what God does is He pours His timeless truth into different institutions, different churches, different individuals throughout history. The message never changes. The way we convey that message has to change or we become irrelevant. And I want you to see what what the Bible says. God at different times in history has choreographed the events of history. He has talked to people through events, through people. Look what it says in Hebrews 1.1. Long ago, God spoke in many different ways to our fathers through the prophets, and then in parentheses, in visions, dreams, even face-to-face, telling them little by little about his plans. If you open up the Bible in the Old Testament, you see from the beginning until Jesus comes, God was speaking through prophets. He was speaking in visions. Sometimes God would walk the earth. Angels would come. They would give messages. God has always spoken to his creation throughout history. The Bible acknowledges that. There were times... Uh, armies, I'm reading right now in the book of Ezekiel in my daily reading. And, and in the book of Ezekiel, right after Jeremiah, God is saying, because you refuse to listen to all my warnings, you will be destroyed. And all these false prophets are coming up and they're going, oh, do not listen to the prophets. Those prophets, they don't know what they're talking about. We are going to, to have a wonderful future. Jeremiah stood up and he goes, no, you're, you're about to die. In fact, if you stay in the city, you're going to die. Everybody who, who goes over to the Babylonian king, you're going to live. And people said, oh, don't listen to him. Ezekiel says, you're going to die because you've, you've defied God. God says, I'm tired of this. And the false prophets go, no, everybody's going to live. Everybody's going to live. God had the Babylonians come and completely destroy Jerusalem. Burned it. Burned down the temple. Because God says, you will not defy me forever. I'm a patient God, but my patience is worn out. God had this army march to get his point across. There were times God allowed people to go into slavery. That's what happened here. When Jerusalem was destroyed, all the people who went over and defected to the Babylonians, they were taken to Babylon and they were put into slavery. But they lived. God, who is outside of time, has worked within the framework of time to get his timeless message across. And then you come to the New Testament and a remarkable thing happened. And even though it had been foretold for thousands of years, nobody was quite ready for it. God took his timeless essence. By the way, this is Jesus. Doesn't that look like a Jesus mug? I figured it had some some Christmas colors and, and anything I can do to help you remember. God took Jesus, who always existed, put him in the form of a man, and he poured his timeless message into Jesus And set him down in a Hebrew culture in our ancient world. Look what it says in John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning, the word already existed. And and if you know anything about scripture, you know that this is talking about Jesus. And in case you don't know, it's going to show you very quickly here. The word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. So this is the second person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Son is called the word. And it says that uh, he was already with God in the beginning. Everything came into existence through him. Not one thing that exists was made without him. Jesus was with God. Jesus was equal with God. Jesus reigned in heaven and he gave it all up to be bound in a human body. God put his timeless truth into the life of a man, placed him right down in the middle of this Hebrew culture. And this is a big deal. Galatians 4.4 says it this way. But when the right time finally came, God sent his own son... He came as the son of a human mother and lived under the Jewish law. And I think I added this one in there, Mike. 
This drop down, if you're, if you're in John chapter 1, verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this Word that existed forever said, I will give up the glory of heaven and I'll be, I'll be confined to skin. I'll be even more confined in the womb of a peasant girl so that I may take the timeless message of God the timeless message of the scriptures and come down into this Hebrew culture and begin to spread this incredible word about God. And you see, God waited until just the right time. If you've studied anything about the Hebrew nation, you know that, that they were under Roman control. The Romans were really this, this pretty sophisticated bunch. They had highways. They had a taxation system. They built up towns. They built up roads. And, and in just the right time, Jesus Christ shows up. You see, God is very, very patient. And you cannot be impatient when you're trying to choreograph this masterpiece, which is what God was doing. So at the precise moment in history when God said, here's when I planned it, Jesus Christ shows up at just the right time in Mary's womb. And when you look at the life of Jesus, that's what we're going to do today to figure out what it means to be relevant. Jesus was the most relevant person who ever lived. So we're going to learn from him. Jesus came to earth to do two things. And this is on your listening guide. First thing he came was to build a bridge relationally. Jesus was a bridge builder. He came to become friends with humans. And then he said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, what do you do when you play hide and go seek? At least if you're not a parent. Because when my kids were little, favorite game. My kids, let's play hide and go seek. Caleb wore me out. Let's play hide and go seek. Let's play hide and go seek. So he's about three or four years old. And I'd go, okay. That was, that was the number one game I went to play. So he, I'd say, you hide first. And, and you know, with, unintentionally, he would go hide. And then I would get distracted. You know, I'm watching TV or something. Or the phone would ring or something. And I would forget to go look for him. And Janie would go, uh, Doug, aren't you supposed to be doing something? What? Huh? Caleb's hiding. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, if she didn't tell me, then I'd hear this voice, Dad. <laughs> and, you know, I would go in there and I'd pretend I wouldn't find them. You know, what do kids do? Kids want to be found. And if you're, if you're dumb enough, you know, I'd look and I'd be right beside them and they'd go, I'm right here. I'm right here. <laughs> and my kids always told me, Dad, that is not how you play the game. You know, if I couldn't find them or if I wouldn't come after them. You're supposed to go looking for whatever is lost until you find it. Kids want to be found. And see, the Bible says that Jesus was the original seeker. In fact, he was seeking us before we even needed to be found. When he came, he was looking for lost people. And the Bible tells us that he found Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They were fishing. Jesus found Matthew in a tax collector's booth. He found Zacchaeus in a tree. He found the woman at the well, and he found the blind man beside the road. And he found me in a little Baptist church 42 years ago on a Sunday night. And I felt like he spoke to my heart. And I walked down, and I prayed the prayer. And I said, God, I know I'm a sinner, and I need to be saved. God's been seeking us, and he is seeking us when we don't even realize it. And, and I want you to look at John chapter 14 because a very interesting thing happens right before Jesus' death on the cross. He wants to prepare his followers from the time when he'll be gone. And, and I didn't put all this in there, so I'm going to read it from um, version. by the way. Some, how many of you have smartphones? Do you have version? So we always put the notes on there, and, and this is one of the greatest things ever. You always got the Bible on your phone, so you can always pull that up. Well, it's not, there we go. So I'm going to read uh, several verses here from John chapter 14. 
Jesus is telling all of his disciples, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, uh, I would have told you that. He says, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with uh, me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. So Jesus is saying, hey, guys, I'm about to die. You need to know where I'm going is awesome. And you know the way. Listen to what Thomas says. Thomas the doubter says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus says, okay, I'm it. Y'all watch the voice. Blake always does that. Jesus is like, yo, dude, I am the way. And then listen to what he says. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is very narrow-minded here. He says, there's not many ways to heaven. You don't follow uh, Muhammad. You don't follow Joseph Smith. You don't follow all of these. Jesus says, I am it. I'm the only way. And then he says, if you really knew me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you know him and have seen him. So then Philip, one of the other brilliant uh, disciples says, Lord, before you go, just show us the father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been with you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Um, Jesus is going, "Uh, guys, I'm God with skin on. If you've seen me, you have seen my father because my father and I are one. Earlier in, this, in, in the New Testament, he says, God and I are one. It's why people wanted to kill him. It's ultimately what got him put on the cross because he said, I am God's son. They said, you can't be God's son. And so the religious people tried to get rid of him. And so Jesus said, I want to come and I'm going to make sure that people know that God loves them. So he puts on skin, he becomes... Um, the, the, the one who makes a relationship with people. Because what did Jesus do? He made friends with people. And can you imagine if that's all he did? What if Jesus t- to this day existed and he was just our friend? What if he was one of, you know, because God could have made him where he never died, right? And he could have been, I don't know if y'all used to read those comic strips, but there's comic strips where this guru would be on top of a mountain and people would climb up there and say, oh, great guru, what is the meaning of life? And Jesus could have sat on a mountain. People could have gone and hung out with him. He could have just been friends with him forever, right? But Jesus came more than to just be friends with people. He did a second thing. Second thing is he came to turn on a light spiritually. This is big. And this is what the church is supposed to do. God poured his timeless truth into a man. He said, go build bridges and turn on light spiritually. Back to John chapter 1, verse 4. The word, which we know is Jesus, was the source of life, and this life brought light to people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has never put it out. See, you got to think this through, because at the right time, at this point in history, all of the spiritual lights had gone out. The religious people were real good at being religious. It was a time of intense religion. But religious people weren't building bridges with folks outside the churches. They were building walls. In fact, the temple had a wall where Gentiles, non-Jews, could not get in. There was another wall that kept women out. They were real good at building walls. And they were real good at being religious. But as they built these walls up, the spiritual lights had gone out in that time. Jesus called the religious leaders blind guides who are leading the blind. He said that because they didn't have the light within them, whenever they made somebody a convert to their religion, Jesus said, you make them twice as much a son of hell. That's pretty, that's pretty stiff words from Jesus. He called these religious leaders whitewashed tombs. He said, the outside looks good, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. He called them snakes and hypocrites. 
People were dying of, of spiritual thirst because the light spiritually had gone out. Now, I want you to compare the religious leader's method to Jesus' method because Jesus came to simplify things. The religious leaders made things more difficult. So they took God's word and they added a thousand other, about 1,500 other regulations to it. It would be like the IRS. Does anyone think that the IRS code, the tax code, gets more simplified the longer we're alive? So in 2013, is the tax code going to be less than it is in 2012? No, in fact, I, I just Googled this yesterday. I was studying, I thought about this, and I, and I looked it up. And it said, if you write down all the regulations and everything, if you were to print all of that out that, that goes along with our tax code, both the tax code and everything that you're supposed to do to file those taxes, it'd be about 72,000 pages of paper. That's a whole lot longer than the Bible. And, and here's the thing. Each year it gets longer. So I looked at this little chart and it showed, you know, 30 years ago, it was about 10,000. I don't remember how many pages. And it just keeps getting longer and longer and longer because people tend to complicate things. That's what the religious leaders were doing. They were adding all these extra things. Not only do you have to obey the Bible, you have to obey the religious leaders. And anything that we come up with, you have to obey those things. And they were complicating things. But when Jesus taught, he simplified the law. Jesus said, I can, I can simplify the whole Bible into two statements. Love God, love people. He said, you do those two things, you'll fulfill every scripture if you love God and you love people. No one had ever taught like this. So Jesus came to tear down walls and make it easier for people to see the light. And then he went to people who needed it the most. You know who he hung out with? What was considered the scum of society. Prostitutes, murderers, lepers. He built bridges to those type of people. And the religious leaders hated him. He went out there to make friends with them and to turn on lights spiritually and the world has never been the same. So my question is, which do you want to be like? Do you want to be like Jesus or do you want to be like the religious leaders? And we made the decision a long time ago, specifically 10 years ago when we started this church, we drove a stake in the ground. We said, we, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord and we're going to do what Jesus did. You cannot claim to be a follower of Jesus if you're not building bridges and turning on lights. Our job is to be just like him. And, and when we do stuff here in the church, we need to evaluate everything we do. Is it building bridges to other people? Is it turning on lights spiritually? If we're not doing that, we're wasting our time. Because that's what Jesus did. So we're to take the timeless truth that was the message of Jesus when he walked the earth. And we're to discern the best way to use that timeless truth in 2012, soon to be 2013. The message never changes, but the methods must. I was at a conference a couple weeks ago, and I sat down on this, this couch. This was kind of one of the best compliments that I've ever gotten. Because I sat down on the couch, and, and I'm in blue jeans and a t-shirt. You know, i got my ball cap on, my Texas Rangers ball cap. Because i, I got to give them love, even though... Oh, wow. Um, anyway, so I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm having my lunch. And this, this guy who looks like a pastor sits down. He's an older guy, and he's got his tie on, his button-down shirt. And he's very prim, creased pants. And he sits down, and he crosses his legs. you know. And I'm eating. I'm just enjoying my time in, in between the conference thing. And uh, he goes, so, are you affiliated with a church? I'm like, uh, yes, sir, I am. He goes, oh, really? He said, uh, what, what do you do with a church? And I said, I'm the pastor. And he goes, oh. I just kind of grinned. I was like, yes, got it. And uh, he said, what church are you affiliated with? And I said, well, New Life Community Church. And he goes, what denomination is that? And here's what I do. This is every time somebody asks me what denomination, I go, well, 
we're affiliated with the Southern Baptists of Texas. And, and, you know, of course, he looks at me and I said, but we don't do church like typical Baptists because we're intentionally not doing church. And not that we think it's bad. It's just there's a hundred of them in Palestine. And, and it's not bad. But if you want to go to a traditional church, we'll help you find one. This is not going to be it. Because we're trying to reach people that some of those churches I've been in didn't want to reach. And so anyway, he says, he goes, oh, well, well, I'm Baptist. And we started talking. Then we became friends when he found out that we're related, uh, affiliated with Southern Baptist of Texas. We became friends. And, and I just laughed. But I thought that was the greatest compliment that he had no clue I was a preacher. I said, I'm in stealth mode. <laughs> Especially when I get around a bunch of preachers. I, I just, I don't like them. Um, no, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Relevance is using what is cultural to say what is timeless. And so if we're going to be relevant, we've got to figure out what that means for 2012, for Palestine, for Anderson County. So how do we stay relevant? We've got to do three things. Number one on your listening guides is learn to distinguish between what is cultural and what is timeless. That means you've got to understand the difference between the water and the pitcher. Because here's what happens. Ten years ago, we felt like God was calling us to do New Life Community Church. And so God pours his timeless message inside this cute little pitcher thing that's New Life Community Church. And if we're not careful after a while, we forget that it's the timeless message inside of us that makes us special and not this building, not New Life Community Church, not Doug, not you. We forget that it's the message. Because the Bible says that we actually are jars, jars of clay. We're these pots. And he says, what makes us special is what's in the pot. Now, I know some of you ladies love to get these really cool pots, you know, that you put plants in, potted plants in. But, but it's really what goes in there that makes us special, right? So the Bible calls us clay pots. And it's what's in us that makes us special if you're a Christ follower. And so we forget and we say, oh, well, the only way you can do church is the way New Life Community Church does church. That's incredibly arrogant. We can't forget that God pours his timeless truth into each of us and we're supposed to steward that message. We get confused between the message and the uh, methods and if we stay confused, we become irrelevant. What does a missionary do? Do you all know what a missionary does? Before they go, they have to study the culture. They study what the, the people wear. They study the language. They study all kinds of things in order to go and to blend in with that society and then tell them about this incredible message of Jesus. So what Jesus did was he poured us, New Life Community Church 10 years ago, poured the timeless message into us and said, you need to steward this message and reach people who are far from God. We say we want to serve God's purpose in this generation. I'm not my dad. My dad's 90 years old and, and dad, dad's not in great health. And I don't know how much longer we're going to have my dad. And I go to my dad's church usually once a year or every other year, depending on when we're home and if we're home over a, a Sunday. And my dad's church is dying. In fact, a couple of years ago, it was really uncomfortable. The, the pastor stood up and he said, he said, if we keep doing what we're doing, this is my, my translation. He said, we're, we're going to go under. And he said, I don't know if it's me. This was, this was crazy. The pastor said, I don't know if it's me. If I'm preaching wrong or if I'm doing something wrong, I don't know what's going on. And, and the sad truth is, I think in some ways, they're, they're applauding the container, not what's inside the container. They're not, they're not taking the timeless message and applying it to their situation. 
And see, a, a church in Haiti, in fact, we go to Haiti, we're working on a church at Mariani. It's going to look very different from our church. God pours his timeless message into Pastor Valco and the people at Mariani where we're working on this church. And they should look a lot different from us because they're in a different culture than we are. And it's why when we go to Haiti, this happens every time. We go to Haiti and we tell people ahead of time, okay, when we go, you need to dress very modestly. Uh, when you go to church, they expect you to wear certain types of clothes. And, and what we wear to church would not be acceptable in their church. And so we're driving down and people are, people are taking baths in the, in the river, you know, and they're completely naked. And there's all kinds of stuff going on. I mean, you're, you're driving down, you're just having a good time. You go, oh, don't look that way, you know, because people are over there and they're taking baths and they're washing cars and they're doing all this stuff. And people all the time, this is what folks say. They say, why do we have to worry about what we wear? Because look around, there's people who are wearing a lot worse stuff than this. But it's not the Christ followers. And see, we're living in a church. And, and those church members are seeing us, and so we adapt to them. Because their church at Mariani or at Cote Plage, where we stay, their church looks a whole lot different than us. They're trying to reach their culture. We're supposed to go, and we're supposed to fit into that. And see, <laughs> we're supposed to be creative. I think that's what God wanted us to be, was creative when he started our church. And creativity is hard. Creativity takes time. It takes effort. It's a lot easier not to be creative. It's a lot easier just to kind of go with the flow. And what happens when you go with the flow is you become irrelevant. And a short step from irrelevance is incompetence. And then after that is death as a church. And we just find that unacceptable. So we're going we're gonna to constantly be asking, are we, are we building bridges, turning on lights? Are we being relevant in this culture? If we're not, we're going to chunk something out. Second, never assume what worked yesterday should work today. Because I've been to so many conferences. Somebody will discover something and, and they'll be working in their uh, uh, situation. And in the Baptist, this, I'm just going to speak from my Baptist background. In the Baptist culture, if somebody comes up with evangelism explosion, for example, years ago, this became the way. And, and everybody in America said, you have to do evangelism explosion because it's the greatest way to reach people for Christ. And so you went through this program, you memorized all this stuff, and you would go knock on doors. I cannot stand to knock on doors of people I don't know. I hate it. And, but I would have to do that at the end. I would have to go and knock on doors and say, Hey, if you were to die tonight, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? And they'd go, huh? I mean, can you imagine going... Do you like people knocking on your door that you didn't invite to your house? I don't. In fact, I usually have an attitude when I answer the door. If I didn't invite you over... Now you, if it's you, I'll go, oh, okay. And you'll see, you'll see a change. Because I go, hey, what's up? But if it's a salesman... Or if it's a spiritual salesman, then this wall goes up, right? I can't stand that. And they said, oh, you have to do it this way. You have to, you have to, anyway. So we're supposed to figure out what works now. What worked for my dad in 1953 in his church doesn't work in Palestine in 2012. And, and I'm not about to say that, that what, what we're doing now will work in 10 years. We better be able to adapt and change. To say that, that, that what worked in the past is going to work, that'd be like me saying, okay, I was in youth ministry for 19 years. James, here's this deal. You have to do only what I did. That's arrogant for him, for me to say, oh, only my way of doing youth ministry works. Does that make sense to you? James has to reach out to this generation of teenagers. My children have to reach out to their generation. We should be equipping people to do church and reach folks all the time. 
Because, you know, honestly, there's not a whole lot of people in here my age or older. John's one. Jeff is like a spiritual granddad to me. (laughs) My generation. There's a few folks in here my age, maybe older. But what we're supposed to do is reach those coming up behind us. And then the next generation is supposed to reach them. That's the way. That's plan A. God doesn't have a plan B. It's you and me. Makes you wonder what he was thinking, doesn't it? Our church must change with the times or it will become irrelevant. Number three, how do we stay relevant? Communicate content for the sake of application, not just information. God gave us the Bible to transform us, not to inform us. And we got way too many people who just want to be informed but never do anything. See, in our children's ministry, we've got to take the timeless truth of God and pour it into something digestible for them. That means we choose very carefully which stories we we use with our children back there in the back. We don't talk to them about David and Bathsheba. There's a lot of other stories in the scripture that we don't talk about at that age group because they're not ready for them. We do take what's very relevant, and, and we teach them about God's love. And this, this generation is very technologically savvy. Have you seen little kids, little babies? Even Creed can take an a, a, a iPhone or an iPad or something, and he knows how to scroll through. How old's Creed? 13 months, and he can scroll through stuff. I've watched Cadence Canaday do stuff for years. Man, she knows how to do stuff. If you've got a problem with your iPhone or something, give it to Cadence. She'll tell you. How old's Cadence? How old is she? Four. So what I'm saying is we have to be very careful about what we're using and and we're going to use technology to reach our kids. So we're going to show them videos. We're going to play some games. We're going to teach them about the love of Christ. Then when they get the teenagers this next week, one of the most relevant things we can do this next uh, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, we're doing disciple now for our teenagers. And, and what that is, there's, there's some host homes, there's going to be Bible studies, we've got a leader come in, they're going, to, they're going to go and they're going to be in groups and they're going to spend a whole weekend studying about God and relationships and this whole idea of building bridges and turning on lights is one of the most relevant things we can do. If your kids aren't signed up, talk to James, James because I'm, I'm telling you, this is one of the best things that can happen for them in this year that will kind of um, project them on a path towards following God. And you understand what we're doing. The reason we do men's Bible studies and women's Bible studies and small groups and the reason we do all of this stuff is because we want to encourage people. We want to build those bridges and and turn on lights. And and if we're not doing that, we're wasting time. So what we do every time we're trying to evaluate something, if if we're going to preach a sermon, if we're going to do a Bible study, we say, what do we want people to know? What do we want them to do? The content that I give you is what I want you to know. But then we want you to apply that. And every week we ask you a question from up here and we ask you to write something on the back of your card. So turn your registration cards over for just a second. I want I want you to ask yourself two questions and I want you to write down the answer to these two questions on the back of your card. These are yes and no questions. You can write down one and two. Number one, ask yourself this question. Am I building bridges relationally with people outside the church? Yes or no? Very simple question. Very simple answer. Are you building bridges with people outside the church? Number two, are you turning on lights spiritually with people outside the church? That's a yes or no question. And if the answer to one of those is no, I'm going to give you just a minute 
to confess that to God and say, God, I've blown it. Because if we're going to be the church, if we're going to be Christ followers, and our leader is building bridges and turning on lights, and we're not doing that, there's something wrong with us.